we, we come to one of my favorite passages in the Gospel of John. Well, it's not just um, one of my favorite passages in the Gospel of John. It's one of my favorite passages in the entire New Testament. It, it's, it's amazing. Uh, John 11, the raising of Lazarus. Uh, this passage is amazing for many, many reasons. First, we get to see the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus on display. Jesus expresses human compassion and feelings, and at the same time, he demonstrates powers that only truly God could possess. Second, John 11 contains the shortest verse in the entire Bible. If you're looking to memorize some scripture, you're just like, Lord, I know I just need to get into your word and memorize, store scripture into my heart. This is a good place to start. It has the shortest verse. It could really build your confidence. You can memorize it in the next 30 seconds. Actually, the next 10. It's two words. Jesus wept. Can you say that with me? Jesus wept. Look at you. See? You've already memorized the verse. Next, this passage, it's, it's only found in John. It's one of those unique passages. You don't find it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's only found in John's gospel. It's not found in the synoptics. And then this um, chapter, John 11, it contains the last of John's seven signs in this gospel. The seven signs in John's gospel are the changing of water into wine, John 2, uh, the healing of the official son in Capernaum, Chapter 4. Chapter 5, he healed the paralytic by the pool. In chapter 6, he fed the 5,000. Also in chapter 6, he walks on water. In chapter 9, Jesus heals the man born blind. And then we have this one, the raising of Lazarus. So these are the seven recorded signs from Jesus in John's gospel. We know from John's commentary in chapter 20 that Jesus did far more signs than this. These are just the ones that John recorded for us. If you think about Lazarus raising from the dead, if a sign could make or force someone to believe, to trust in Jesus, you, you would think that this would be the one, right? Like, he's dead. And then he comes to life. I mean, if, if you've been following Jesus around there's some hype, some talk about Jesus being maybe this Messiah, the Christ that they've been waiting on. Surely this sign would have sealed the deal. But we'll see how there are some that love their life so much that their love for their own life will ultimately lead to their eternal death. So let's turn to John 11 and let's be in awe of the King of Kings the, the challenge for many of us this morning will be hearing a familiar story with new ears. So let me, let me pray for our time in God's word this morning. Uh, God, I pray that you'd give us fresh ears. As, as we listen to a story we've probably heard since we're little kids, maybe in the children's ministry, Lord, I pray that you would, you would let us see this with new eyes this morning. Lord, help us to see ourselves in this story. Lord, I pray that we would be in awe of your power, your mercy, your kindness. Show us the gospel this morning, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So we have some... John's talking, giving us some information about Mary. This actually happens in chapter 12. So John's speaking as if the audience would be, they would be familiar with Mary, who she was. In verse 1, we're introduced to some key characters for chapter 11. Uh, so far, we haven't met these individuals in John's gospel. They're new to us this morning. But notice how here in verse 1, we're giving the names of these individuals. Now, that's that's unique here because it's been John's style to just keep everyone really generic. You know what I mean? Like, like usually he'll say there was a man or, or there was a, a woman. But here he gives us their names. And not just any man, but there's a certain man. His name was Lazarus and his sisters Mary and Martha. Now there's a lot of Marys in the Bible. Mary is probably one of those, it's probably one of the most common female names in first century uh, Jewish culture, similar today to like Emily or Hannah or Kate. I probably just named half of our church with those names, but this is Mary. It's not Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's not Mary, Mary Magdalene, um, who had been possessed by a demon. This is a different Mary. This Mary and Martha, um, they're also mentioned in Luke's gospel. This is probably where we know them the most. Uh, this is when Martha comes to Jesus complaining that She's serving all the guests. She's busy with work while her sister just sat at Jesus' feet. Uh, and, and so this is that Mary and Martha. That comes from Luke 10. Um, and that's really the only information we have on Mary and Martha other than what we see next week in chapter 12. Um, and so verse 3, so these sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, at first glance, Jesus' comments seem out of place. So when he, Jesus, heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He says this illness does not lead to death. I'm sure the, the ladies, they were excited to hear that. Um, you know, they maybe feel going back, they're confident, not going to lead to death. And then he says, now Jesus loved Mary, uh, Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Doesn't that kind of seem like a strange statement i mean the more natural reading would be so when jesus heard that lazarus was ill he rushed off to see lazarus so when jesus heard that lazarus was ill he quickly grabbed his things and hurried to the town of bethany that would seem like that would be more fitting it's the connection of verse five and six that makes this so strange now jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. It's that little word so that causes the confusion here. The more natural reading would be, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, but 
When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he, he stayed two days longer in the place where he, he was. But John doesn't use the word body. He uses the word so. John is showing us that Jesus demonstrates his love by delaying. And this is not how we think typically. See, we think if you love me, then you'll do something for me right now for my well-being. But Jesus thinks differently. Jesus says, I love you so much that I am willing to wait. Jesus is not motivated by the immediate well-being of someone. That's hard, isn't it? Parents, that's hard to do sometimes. Your, your kids, they really want something. And, and you know, no, I just, it wouldn't be good if I gave that to you right now. You need to wait. You have to keep in mind Christ's purpose, which he says in verse 3, Jesus said, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. The entire point of delaying is to demonstrate Jesus' power over life and death. So he waits so that he and the Father can be glorified. So Jesus delays. Have you ever been there before? Just kind of waiting for God to show up? Like, God, where are you? Don't you love me? And he would say, yeah, I love you. I love you so much. That's why I'm waiting. I'm delaying. So Jesus delays, verse 7. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going to, to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, but he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. John continues to use this light and dark imagery here. If you remember, Jesus and disciples just left Judea because the Jews were trying to kill Jesus. So fast forward a few months, and now Jesus says, let us go to Judea again. The, the Jews and the Romans, they both broke up the day into two 12-hour days. So Jesus, he's saying here with this going to Judea and, you know, the Jews are like pushing back, like, no, we shouldn't go. Jesus, he's essentially saying here that while it's still day, my work must continue. As long as I am doing the Father's will, then my death will not come until that hour comes. So he's saying there's no safer place to be than with me in some sense. In another sense, there's no more dangerous place to be than with Christ because you don't know when that time comes. So he's telling his disciples, as long as it's daylight, you all have an opportunity and they will have an opportunity to still follow me. So Jesus tells them, it's time to go to Judea. Verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in his sleep. So they didn't quite get the metaphor 
in verse 14. So Jesus tells them in verse 14, Jesus tells them plainly, Lazarus has died. They're like, oh, now we get it. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. So why was he glad that they were not there? So that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So here we have some commentary from Thomas. We don't know a lot about Thomas. Um, Typically, he's called Doubting Thomas. That's a traditional phrase for him. Uh, For me, Thomas might be the trickiest disciple to read. Um, He gets put in this box of being this one who doubts. He can come across as a real pessimist um, or at best a realist. And a lot of commentaries, they'll hammer Thomas here for his negativity. You know, and, and maybe if you read this in the voice of like Eeyore, you familiar with Eeyore? Everything's like, it's the worst. You know, if you read it like that, you know, let us also go that we may all die with him. I, I see wh- where you're going with this. But this might not be fair of him. You know, what if Thomas had more of like a, a warrior mentality? You know, let us also go that we may die with him. You know, now you're like, yeah, let's go. That could be Thomas. So it really comes down to what voice you read it in. And I just don't think it's fair that the reader's voice should determine the character of Thomas. So I'm not going to make much of what he says here. Verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. So remember, when John gives you these details, you need to ask the question, why? Why does he say four days? It could be because a Jewish burial usually happened soon after death. But there are some Jewish sources that claim that that the soul would hover over the body for three days, hoping maybe to reenter the body. But then you were like truly dead after three days. So maybe that's why John says four days. We don't know. Verse 18, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Again, why does John give us this detail about Jerusalem being two miles away from Bethany? Probably to show us how dangerous it was that Jesus was coming back to this place. It is dangerous for him to be two miles away from Jerusalem, being in Bethany. It's like Jesus was walking right back into the lion's den. We see in verse 19 that the family of Mary, Martha, Lazarus was was a prominent, probably a wealthy family because many Jews had come to this funeral. They they came to console Mary and Martha. So when Martha heard this in verse 20, that, that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. So it seems like she's blaming Jesus. But, verse 22, but, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I love Martha's faith here. But even now, after four days, I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. 
Then, verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. See, Martha shows that she has good theology. She believes in a physical resurrection. Uh, The resurrection, it was the majority view um, for the Jews in the first century. Uh, We see argument over the resurrection, um, passages like Acts 23. We see a division between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees, they believed in a physical resurrection. The Sadducees did not believe in a physical uh, resurrection. But Jesus said to her in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you, do you, Martha, believe this? You know, that's all well and good that you believe in the resurrection, but do you believe in me? The Sadducees believed in the resurrection. That wasn't going to save them. Do you believe in me? Jesus wants to move Martha from a general view of theology, this resurrection, to a specific view of the resurrection. Jesus says, I am that resurrection and that life. Do you believe this, Martha? I mean, you remember why John is writing this gospel? Let's let's be reminded. Look at chapter 20, verse 30. John writes this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, here's the purpose, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So this is, this is the purpose of John writing. But let's look at Martha's response in verse 27. She says to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This is amazing because notice that Martha believes that Jesus is the Christ even though Jesus did not answer her prayer to heal her brother. At this point, Lazarus is still in the tomb. So many people only believe in Jesus as long as he gives them what they ask. And that's not, that's not the true Jesus. That's more of your little, you know, spiritual Santa Claus is all Jesus is to you. Jesus is looking for a Martha-type faith. So when she had said this in verse 28, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. She probably said it in quiet because she didn't want everybody to know because they know that they're trying to kill Christ. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. It's right here where you can really see the attributes of the incarnation in this passage. 
Here we see the humanity of Christ on display. He wasn't just some hard God that just knew everything. I mean, he knew that he was going to raise him from the dead, but here he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. I love knowing that we have a God who can become deeply moved and troubled when he sees Mary weeping. The heart of Jesus is, is connected to the heart of his people. Verse 34, and he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. I mean, here the God, the God man, he's showing his manness that he's weeping. Again, he knows what he's getting ready to do. It's not like he's going to hear in a minute go, oh, you know what, I messed up. I should have brought him back. He knows what's going to happen. He's going to raise him from the dead. And yet he still weeps. We also need to remember that the verse numbers are are not inspired. So so John did not create this two-word verse for us. Um, But I think the editors did do something magnificent for us when they produced verse 35, Jesus wept. Verse 36, so the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Oh, just you wait. Yes is the answer. Jesus could have healed Lazarus without ever coming to Bethany. He healed the boy in chapter 4 while being 20 miles away. So yes. Verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. So he's like, hey, you, Jesus, you might want to think about this before you, you it's like when you got leftovers in the fridge, and you like pop that lid, and you kind of do it out here, and you kind of let that first, you know, that odor just go out and you're like Martha's just trying to you know Jesus you don't want to do this he's been dead four days four days after being dead decomposition would have set in rigor mortis has already set in within three to five days decay starts to produce blisters on the body I mean all of you all of you nurses medical field like your brain's just spinning right now right he's dead four days blood's dried up The Jews used spices when they buried. They did not embalm like the Egyptians did. But these spices would not have prevented decomposition. So Jesus says to her in verse 40, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Sure, everybody's, their eyes are just glued right now. And Jesus lifted up his eyes And said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, 
come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him, let him go. It's amazing. Using only words, not using any form of technology, Jesus makes Lazarus' heart beat again. His blood begins to flow. And John does not record anyone complaining about the smell that Martha was concerned about. Maybe there was a smell. Nobody cared. He was dead. Now he's alive. His limbs become loose. He walks out of the tomb without any help. What an amazing miracle. My concern is as I'm reading this, you're like, oh, yeah, I've heard this. Right? We've heard this many times. He was dead, now he's alive. He was dead, now he's alive. It's amazing. I pray that your heart is still able to be moved with such a familiar story. Now, many have made this observation that if if Jesus wouldn't have specifically said the name Lazarus and just said, come out, then all of the dead would have come out of the grave. Now, I, I would have just freaked out and run if that, was, that had been crazy. I, I think the part of this story that has always baffled me a bit is that John gives us zero, nothing, no commentary of Lazarus. Did you know that? Like, did you catch that? We don't have anything from Lazarus here. You know, we don't know if Lazarus went on to write the best-selling book, Four Days in Heaven. We don't know. He doesn't tell us what it was like. Are there pets there? Do you see dinosaurs? You know, what kind of foods were in heaven? You know, think about it. Lazarus is in heaven. He's just getting settled in. And from his perspective, it's like, no. I'm back here. John gives us nothing. I think it's because John continues to keep the focus on Jesus. And he does not get distracted on the supporting cast. Verse 45, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary, had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them, I want this to both encourage you and discourage you. But, but some of them, if you write in your Bible, that's a circle that, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. You know, why are there always tattletales in every group? Many believed, but some went and told Jesus, told on Jesus. You know, these verses show us something greatly profound about the human heart. Notice that everyone attended this funeral for a dead man. He's dead. They saw the dead man come out of the grave, and it still did not produce 100% repentance. 
Now, could you imagine being at a funeral? The pastor's talking about the bodily resurrection. Maybe he's using it as an illustration. And the corpse that you came to honor just gets up from the casket. I would think this would be the easiest invitation the pastor's ever given. You, I would think that would be what would lead you to, yeah, okay, Lord, I believe you are real. But I find it fascinating that not even a sign as remarkable as this could not convince those who were determined not to believe. You know, I could see if some of them maybe were skeptical. You know, so, you know maybe Jesus and Lazarus, they, they were just trying to prank everyone. So we're not going to believe because this was just a big prank. We, we think, you know, Jesus, you know, Lazarus, I got a good idea. This will be a great one. You know, how about you? We'll pretend you're dead. We'll put you in the tomb for four days. And then, you know, we'll put some good food in there so you, you, you'll be fine. And then we'll move the tomb and then you'll come out and then we'll get everybody. It'll be amazing. And so you could see how some would maybe, maybe they would be skeptical that they're just pulling a prank. But, that, but that's not what's going on here. It doesn't seem like from verse 47 that that was the case at all. None of them left there thinking that they had been fooled, that there was a prank that took place. They left there, they go, verse 47, so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do for this man performs many signs? You know, they believed, you know, it, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. See, it seems like no one thought it was a scam. There, there were no skeptics. The, the chief priests, the Pharisees, they admit that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. But what's crazy is they are more worried about what Rome thought about them than they are what God thought about them. The, the reason they bring up Rome here is at this time, Rome ruled over Israel. But Rome was fine with Israel having, you know, some of their own government. You know, as long as they would toe the line, Rome allowed the Jews to have, you know, the religious leaders. They allowed them to have a puppet king. But if Jesus caused too much trouble... If people were calling Jesus the king of Israel, if Rome found out that the Jews had someone who could raise people from the dead, then Rome might just come in and wipe them all out. That was their concern. Think about how Jesus' power to raise the dead could easily give the Jews a military advantage. So you would hope that the first thing that would come out of the mouth of these religious leaders let me praise God. Lazarus is alive. What an incredible miracle. <coughs> but instead of a praise, we see a plan. Look at verse 49. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, 
Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. See, their response reveals what really matters to them. What are the Jewish leaders worried about? Well, they're worried about their own comforts and their own security. We're not going to let this one man mess it up for the rest of us. We have a good thing going on here. People love us. We're important. It is better that he dies so that many will live. It is better that Jesus die than we all perish. And God, in all of his sovereignty, looks at Caiaphas and he says, exactly. And this shows us the beautiful doctrine of substitutionary atonement. Atonement means to make right of something wrong. The wrong is our sin, and we should have died, but Jesus becomes the substitution for our death. Verse 54, Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so they might arrest him. There's so many takeaways from this chapter. Uh, we saw where Mary and Martha, they had a plan. But God had a different plan. In that moment, I'm sure Mary and Martha, they were devastated. I'm sure they've asked all the typical questions. You know, Jesus, I thought you loved Lazarus. Jesus, why didn't you step in and do something? And these are questions that I'm guessing we've probably asked, right? God, where are you? Why won't you step in in this situation? Maybe you're asking those right now. Maybe you come in this morning, you had a terrible week. You felt like God did not show up in your life, and you're struggling. But after the dust had settled, I'm guessing Mary and Martha liked Jesus' way, Jesus' timing, better than their plans. I mean, think about how amazing that would have seemed to seeing your brother come out after four days. Oh, now I get it. Have you had those moments with God? I know I have. I've complained, God, you know, why aren't you doing this? Or why haven't you done this? And I get real frustrated with, with God. Days, weeks, maybe months, maybe years go by. And I go, oh, now I get it. Now I get it, Lord. Does that resonate with your soul this morning? You know, are, are you angry or frustrated with God because he hasn't followed your plan? 
Let Martha's faith encourage you to trust God no matter what. You remember her faith? Lord, why didn't you come? But even now I know that whatever you ask, God will do. You know, I love her faith there. I love how this story of Lazarus points us to something greater. There is a beautiful picture of the gospel found right here in the story of Lazarus. Um, one author writes this, Just like Lazarus, we too were dead. Just like Lazarus, we too were bound. Just like Lazarus, Jesus interrupted our sleep and spoke new life into our dead bones. It's not about us being good enough. It's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus has done. He died as a substitute on our behalf so that we would not perish under God's judgment. It's about accepting in faith and trusting that the cross is all we need. So that now we are raised by grace of Jesus. He has called us by name. We have life, eternal, abundant life, life to the fullest. We are no longer bound. Sin has no power over you. Jesus has said, unbind him, let him go. This is extreme power. No addiction can bind you. So what about you this morning? Have you come out of the grave? Jesus gets extremely personal with Martha in verse 25. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I close this morning with the same question. Do you? Do you believe Jesus is the res resurrection and the life? See, how you answer that question will radically change not only your eternity, but even your years you have left here on this earth. Will you respond to his voice this morning and come out of the grave? If you have been risen from your spiritual death and been given new spiritual life, then we want to invite you this morning to celebrate this new life with participating in the Lord's Supper. So this morning, you have an opportunity to remember what Christ has done for you, that his body was broken for you. That will be represented by the bread. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of sin. So if you're a guest with us, if, if, if that's you, if, if you're a guest, but you believe in Christ, um, you believe that he died for your sins, you're trusting in him to be that life and we invite you to come and participate in the Lord's Supper with us. There's two different stations. You'll take one set of cups. The bottom cup will have the bread. The top cup will have the juice. And so whenever you're ready, you come this morning and you celebrate what Christ has done for you.